If you enjoy listening to this podcast, we ask you to consider supporting it by making a one-time or reoccurring donation. Visit Mayflower's website at www.mayflowerucc.org and click on the Donate tab in the menu. Donations made to Mayflower's Communications Fund are tax-deductible and help ensure that this podcast is available. Thank you for your support. The sermon you are about to hear was preached at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church in Oklahoma City by the Reverend Dr. Lori Walkie, senior minister at one of America's premier liberal Protestant pulpits. At Mayflower, we are an open and affirming peace and justice church where we believe religion should be biblically responsible, intellectually honest, emotionally satisfying, and socially significant. We go now to the pulpit of Mayflower Congregational UCC Church of Oklahoma City and to the preaching and teaching of Reverend Dr. Lori Walkie. Good morning. Welcome on this fifth Sunday of Lent to Mayflower Congregational United Church of Christ, where no matter who you are or where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. to hear me, for if you are silent to me, I shall be like those who go down to the pit. Hear the voice of my supplication as I cry to you for help, as I lift up my hands towards your most holy sanctuary. Do not drag me away with the wicked, with those who are workers of evil, who speak peace with their neighbors while mischief is in their hearts. Repay them according to their work and according to the evil of their deeds. Repay them according to the work of their hands. Render them due their reward, because they do not regard the works of the Lord or the works of the Lord's hands. The Lord will break them down and build them up no more. Blessed be the Lord, for the Lord has heard the sound of my pleadings. The Lord is my strength and my shield. In the Lord my heart trusts. So I am helped and my heart exults, and with my song I give thanks to the Lord. The Lord is the strength of the Lord's people. The Lord is the saving refuge of the Lord's anointed. Oh, save your people and bless your heritage. Be their shepherd and carry them forever. Sing praises, all you Sing praises to the Lord, sing praises all you people. 
us bow our heads together. Over 100 years, Holy One, it took us over 100 years to pass a federal anti-lynching law after it was first suggested. But it did finally happen. We give thanks for the work of Ida B. Wells, who chronicled names, dates, locations, and excuses for lynchings. Her efforts largely prevented this domestic terrorism from being swept under the rug. We confess that white Christian America carries immense blame for lynchings, and we grieve the lack of urgency to stop them. For the sin of it should have been obvious to those who claim to follow an innocent man who was handed over to a mob to be tortured and killed. Even now, we have not given our time and attention to understanding the cross as the lynching tree, as James Cone explained, both tools of repression and terror. Perhaps if we had, Ahmad Arbery would still be alive. Our confession does not bring back Emmett Till, the black teenager who the bill is named after. It does not bring back the more than 4,400 black lives who were hanged, burned alive, shot, drowned, and beaten to death by white mobs. It does not bring back the other black lives to whom this happened, but whose bodies were never found. But we confess, Holy One, so that we can repent and then double down on being anti-racist, for we know it is not enough to be not racist. May we be quick to listen to black voices, slow to speak in support of the status quo, and slow to become defensive. Be with us as we do better. With faithful resolve we pray, amen. Our scripture lesson this morning comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, the home of Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. There he gave a dinner for him. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those at the table with him. Mary took a pound of costly perfume made of pure nard, anointed Jesus' feet, and wiped them with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, the one who was about to betray him, said, why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and the money given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. He kept the common purse and used to steal what was put into it. Jesus said, Leave her alone. She bought it so that she might keep it for the day of my burial. You always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. Here ends the reading from our tradition. May God grant to us wisdom and courage for interpretation. For days, we watched the confirmation hearings for Supreme Court nominee Judge Katanji Brown Jackson. Most of it was painful. It was hard to watch and to listen as some senators tried to belittle, shame, and silence her. But it was also 
as Senator Cory Booker said, a joy. It was a joy to watch and listen to a brilliant black woman demonstrate her intelligence and her passion on such a big stage. It called to mind the story we read from scripture today, another woman who found herself in a room full of men, some of whom tried to embarrass her. In John chapter 12, verses 1 through 8, we hear the story of Mary, who demonstrated her intelligence and passion by anointing Jesus' feet with perfume and then wiping them with her hair. It was a lavish, life-affirming gesture. It also made some of the men uncomfortable, and one of them tried to belittle, shame, and silence her. Judas feigned outrage. Why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and the money given to the poor? A parenthetical remark from the author informs us that Judas did not really care about the poor, and this, of course, is done in part to hint at the betrayal soon to come. It means that we do not have that much sympathy for Judas, given his involvement in Jesus' arrest and so forth. But while we may not have much sympathy for Judas, it might be more helpful, rather than to just condemn him, to wonder what else we might learn if we hold open the possibility that there was something else going on with Judas, that there was something else that kept him from following Mary's lead. Research professor Brene Brown explains how gender norms tell men that they need to stop feeling, start earning, put everyone in their place, and climb their way to the top or die trying. The rules of patriarchy have basically been the same from the beginning, and we can imagine that Judas understood the assignment. It's conceivable that Judas felt just as strongly about Jesus as Mary did, and, and that he actually did want to kneel down beside her and be part of that moment. But the voice in his head said, that's just not what men do. There is this framing around masculinity as being harmful for women, but it's also really, really important to talk about how masculinity is harmful in what it does in terms to limit men and boys. In her book, To Raise a Boy, Emma Brown explains, experts believe that the pressure men face to act like men is literally toxic pushing them toward dangerous behavior and away from professional help and putting their lives at risk. Compared to women, men in the United States are more likely to be victims of violent crime. They are also more likely to die from heart disease, cancer, and 10 of the other 13 leading causes of death. Men are four times more likely than women to die by suicide and four times more likely to be killed by someone else. Men die earlier than women across the globe, and in the United States, their life expectancy is five years shorter 
This is alarming. And while thousands of years separate us from Judas, these statistics certainly played out in his story as we know it. The Gospel of Matthew tells of Judas's tragic death in chapter 27. Throwing down the pieces of silver in the temple, he departed and he went and hanged himself. This story from Scripture that reflects back so starkly these worrisome statistics should trouble us all deeply. The good news is that there was one present who, like the senator from New Jersey, didn't play by those tired and restrictive stereotypes, one who refused to let joy be stolen, his or Mary's. I am, of course, talking about Jesus who said, leave her alone. But he didn't just leave it there. That wasn't the end of it. Jesus' ultimate response to Mary's lavish, life-affirming gesture was to repeat it. In just the next chapter, in John 13, we find Jesus washing the feet of the disciples. And this was a wildly unexpected act. Definitely, definitely not what a man was supposed to do. Foot washing was a job for servants. And if there were no servants, then it was a job for women and children, not men and definitely not a man in charge. Teachers do not wash the feet of their students. It's the other way around. But here, here we have Jesus repeating what Mary did for him. The same word used to describe how Mary wiped Jesus' feet, ekmaso, is the same word used to describe how Jesus wiped the feet of the disciples. It's the same. Jesus literally showed the male disciples another way to be, which is what our society needs too. For as Emma Brown writes, if we don't take care to help boys see that the gender stereotypes beamed at them from birth really are just stereotypes, they are not ironclad rules. They, they can be stoic and competitive sometimes and at other times upset and in need of help. If we don't explain all of that, then we miss an opportunity to teach them that there is indeed more than one acceptable way to be a man. And we reinforce a dangerous disdain for girls, women, and femininity. Jesus followed Mary's lead, and then he delivered one of the most significant teachings to his followers. Just as I have loved you, you also should love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. I don't know who's going to tell the Oklahoma GOP, but it really sounds like Jesus is using social-emotional learning on the disciples. 
You've heard about this in the news, I'm sure, SEL, social emotional learning. As Emma Brown explains, SEL can be one of those abstract educational acronyms that no one can quite define. But SEL encompasses a huge range of programs meant to foster someone's sense of determination and responsibility, as well as their ability to manage emotions, relate to others, and solve problems. And it seems to me like the charge, love one another, is shorthand for all of that. It's shorthand for being self-aware, managing emotions, relating to others, and solving problems. We cultivate love when we allow our most vulnerable and powerful selves to be deeply seen and known, and when we honor the connection that grows from that offering with trust, respect, kindness, and affection. Love is not something we give or we get. It is something that we nurture and grow, a connection that can be cultivated between people when it exists within each of them. We can love others only as much as we love ourselves. So we've got to teach each other to love ourselves, that it is okay to be afraid, it is okay to want to express emotion, it is okay to kneel down besides one another. And that perhaps is one of the most desperate needs of the world, that we indeed kneel down beside one another. And to do that, we must create a world in which it is okay to do that, to share and express emotions, to be unafraid to show tender care towards one another, to be in tune with one another when, when we are hurting or facing a difficult challenge. The world is in desperate need for us to turn towards one another instead of away from each other. The world needs us to kneel down beside one another. What would happen if we tried that for a while? Let's start by sharing a meal. We have received mail, each of us individually and all of us collectively, it is an invitation to gather around this table and share a feast. There is no dress code, no secret password, no RSVP is necessary, no fine print to parse. So come, all who want a bite of bread and a sip from the cup. Let us share a meal together that our hearts might be filled to the brim. The table is set and we all have a seat. Come, for all is ready. As we come to the table today, our story reminds us that we are called to make lavish, life-affirming gestures, to be wasteful in our love for others, to pour out affirmation, to care tenderly for one another, for we never know how much time we have left. As we come to the table today, our story reminds us that even though Judas was supposed to be the bad guy, there is more to his story. We keep this in mind 
when someone isn't their best self, remembering that there is more to their story. And we remember this when we are not our best selves, for there is more to our story. As we come to the table today, our story reminds us that a standard-issue human inspired Jesus with her lavish, life-affirming gesture. So far be it from us to think that our acts of kindness and mercy and love aren't enough or aren't meaningful or aren't important. Mary, Mary tipped the Jesus domino and started a chain reaction that brought us to this very moment. And now it is our turn to make the next lavish, life-affirming gesture. So we need to make sure that we are ready. You've been listening to the preaching and teaching of Reverend Dr. Lori Walkie, Senior Minister at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church in Oklahoma City. More information about the church can be found at www.mayflowerucc.org or by visiting Mayflower's Facebook page. Worship services are every Sunday at 10 a.m. with Sunday school classes for all ages at 9 a.m. Mayflower is located on Northwest 63rd Street in Oklahoma City, one block west of Portland. Thank you for listening.